Let's turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2. Matthew, chapter 2. Matthew 2, beginning to read at verse 1. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born the king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. And Herod the king had heard these things. He was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou Bethlehem in the land of Judah art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. And they had heard the king when they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star, which they saw in the east, went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream, that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. Let's pray again. Father, take your own inspired word, we pray, and inscribe it in all our hearts. And may we fall in love with him all over again. Help us, Lord, afresh and anew to open our spirits and our minds and all our lives to what your word would say to us. We ask you, God, that this would be a morning when men and women, Lord, would hear the word of God and do it. Receive it, Lord, and live by it. And, O oh God, that we would come to give our all to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to speak this morning on determined, premeditated worship. Determined, premeditated worship. If you were to be uh, in a courthouse, and you might hear things like premeditated murder. Someone went determinedly to do something to carry out a crime. Well, in the opposite effect, we can do that when we come to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. We can be premeditated in our hearts to know what we're going to, to expect to find him. The first time in the New Testament, the English word, Worship is used is here in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2 and verse 2. These wise men say, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Notice that. The first time the English word worship is used is here. We are come to worship him. The second time then it is used is in their same chapter in verse 11. 
It says, And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. So notice this. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star, and we are come to worship him. And when they saw the child, they worshipped him. We have three things to look at this morning. First of all, we see their premeditated intention. That is, they had premeditated. They had made up their hearts and minds. They had it all fitted within themselves that they were coming for one purpose and for one reason, and that was to worship. They're coming to worship. And secondly, we can see their determination in it. Determination was that they were going to press on until they reached their goal, until they finished their mission. Nothing was going going to hinder them, nor harm them, nor stop them, because they were going to press on until they reached the Christ child. So they were determined, they were premeditated, and again, their expectation was to encounter God. They knew that if they did this, according to Scripture, that they would succeed, that they would find him. Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 13, the Lord told Judah, he said unto all of Israel, but unto Judah at this time going captive, the Jews into Babylon. Listen to what he says. He says that, excuse me, ye shall seek me and ye shall find me when you search for me with all your heart. Notice, and I will be found of you. Now, when we take this into our own lives for worship, here's a great example of these wise men. They travel far, they come and they don't stop until they bow down, fall down and worship before the Lord, and also they present him that which they had already premeditated to give him in their own hearts and minds when they found him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Here's the thing, brother, here's the thing, sister, for you and I, for worshiping the King, for worshiping Christ. Good intentions are not enough. I want to say it again. Good intentions are not enough. I intended to be in the place of worship, but I intended to be with my brethren and my sisters worshiping, but good intentions are not enough. I intended to switch off the TV and go into my secret place with God, but I intended to go and give him all I have, but. Once you and I place a but in there, it becomes a good intention, but good intentions in the place of worship are not enough. I don't know about you and your walk with the Lord, but I can tell you God calls me to pray. God should call you to pray. God should call you to worship. God should call you where it's in your heart, whether you're in work or where you're walking down the street or whether you're coming and you don't want to come to church or whatever it is, God calls to worship and it's up to us to answer the call. God calls us to spend time with him, to be in his house, to be in his presence, to be in that closet, the secret place with him. And he calls us. We know in our own hearts we should be there worshiping him. But instead, other things 
take his place. These men had a call from God. And whatever people try and work out what country they came from, and they could have been Parthians, as I said before last Sunday, uh, maybe from the scattered Israel they could have been, for they knew the word. They were coming with the word. They were following that star. So notice this. Good intentions, whether it's uh, uh, to come to the house of worship or into your secret place of worship, and putting it off, good intentions are not enough. Expecting an encounter with God should be on every heart, every time, in every place, to meet with Him. When we come together, for example, this morning, if we come just to, well, we do this, it's a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening, and listen, we're glad to see you. We're not saying anything about that. We're glad that you've got up out of bed and come this morning. We're glad that you've made the effort. But it's not about us. It's not about you and it's not about me. It's what he has placed in your heart to come and do. If God lives in you by his Spirit, if the Holy Spirit lives in the believer, if the believer is conscious of him, then you will be unable to stay away from the place of worship. I don't care what anybody else says. I don't care what the excuses are. The Bible tells us, forsaking not the assembly of yourselves together as the manner of some is. Some say you don't need to be there. But the Bible says you be there. Be the witness. Be the witness. Someone once says, but pastor, a rolling stone gathers no moss. Yep. But also a rolling stone can build no wall and build no house. Notice this. Expecting an encounter with God or with Christ will only be complete in your life. I'm talking to, uh, it happens to all of us at times, but some people will say, well, how do we find that place with God? How do we press into that place with God? Well, expecting an encounter with Christ will only be complete and come to pass when your heart is fully set on him. That's the only time you're going to really experience his presence. When your heart is fully set on him, when your mind is truly open to him, when your will is completely yielded to his will. These men were determined to take a long journey. They were determined to stay the course. They were determined to take all seasonal change they may face on that journey. And they were determined to press on through dangers, toils, and snares. And why? Because they wanted a Christ encounter. They wanted to encounter Christ. And all the riches they had and all the things they had and all the busyness they had, these wise men who people thought they were kings and so on, whatever they were ruling and reigning over, whatever they were doing at home, he must come first. Life is not complete until you fix your eyes in Christ. Life is not complete until you meet the Christ. 
the Lamb of God. Notice this. They come and they say, where is he? They have persevered through all sorts of trials to get to him, to receive the prize of their high calling and God, which was Christ Jesus himself. And they say to Herod, where is he that is born king of the Jews or the king of Judah? We have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. What it says here is he alone, Christ alone, deserves the glory. It means that Christ alone is the one who should receive your worship. And yet we worship many things and many others in his place. Pop stars and actors and all sorts of people. Need I go through them all? In fact, there's many of us, especially in, if we can call it, Pentecostal or even charismatic circles, but we worship worship. We worship worship. That worship of, is, is so twisted that it has to be something that causes us to feel. It causes us to receive. Oh, when we worship, we receive. Listen, every time I worship and he is here, his presence alone is the blessing. It's his presence is the blessing. But we've got worship upside down, back to front and around the wrong way. And we end up worshiping worship rather than worshiping the Christ. Now notice this. Their intention was to come and to worship the Lord Jesus who alone is worthy of the praise. Their intention in verse 2, we are come to worship him. The execution was in verse 11. They fell down and worshipped him. See, your good intentions, Lord, I'll worship you later. And you know in your heart God is saying, come worship me. Come speak to me. Turn it off and come. Turn the television off and come. Put the magazine down or whatever. Come pray. Come seek my face. Come worship me. Your lunchtime and work. Don't sit with the boys or, or the ladies or whatever, whoever you sit with and work. Come aside and pray. Come and seek my face. Open my word and I'll speak to you in it. And yet we say, I'll do it later, Lord. I'll do it later. You see, and he takes the next place down the list. These people, these men, they come to give to Christ. Nothing else will do but they execute that which they were purposed for. Their intention, we are come to worship him. The execution, they fell down and worshipped him. An old Puritan called Thomas Adams, speaking on worship, listen to what he said. Now, this is an old Puritan too. It is pure worship to move our hats and not our hearts. It is pure worship to move our hats and not our hearts. In the days when men wore the big hats, they had come up to the church and they had took off their hat, uncovered their head. As scripture says, by the way, brethren, they uncovered their head in the presence of the Lord. And when they uncovered their heads, he says, oh, that's good. You're showing a reverence to God, to God's house, and you're coming in and you're uncovering your head by removing your hat. He says, but what about your heart? And it's pure worship if we haven't got a heart experience in love with Christ. A heart that is moved by him. 
We should be moved in worship because we have been moved to worship. Brothers and sisters, try and catch it. I wrote this the other day and I thought, Lord, give me something for Sunday morning. You know me, I don't do the general fluffy Christmas stuff, trees and all that sort of stuff, whatever you want to do, the tinsel and the mistletoe and all that sort of. I'll say no more. Lord, give me something that I'll bring your people. And he gave this to me. And I got off my chair and I said, Lord, and I stood and I worshipped him. I worship you, Jesus. Oh, that my heart would be moved every time I think of you. That my heart would be enthralled with every time I hear your name being exalted. That my heart would be enamored with you, with your presence. Oh, Son of God, beautiful Lamb, the wonder of Calvary, the Lord Jesus Christ. To worship him, move our hearts, Lord. Why don't you praise, say, Lord, will you move my heart to worship? We can move our mouths, but sure, so can anyone. We can even raise our hands. We can clap them. But oh God, move our hearts. We should be moved in worship. That is, we should be moved in our hearts to express because we have been moved in our worship. We are come to worship him. Notice they said, we are come to worship him. It means they are come to be moved to worship. They were called by God through the guiding star to worship. Verse 11, they fell down and worshipped him. They were moved in worship. Notice the expression, they came, they were moved to worship. Then when they got there, they were moved in worship. It showed that they fell down before him. You know what they realized? This little babe, this young child, he's maybe up to two years old here. And this one here is the one whom the prophets have spoken about. This is Emmanuel. This is God in our midst. And so we must ask ourselves, how is it if we wholeheartedly, fully and truly believe that God comes and visits us, lives in us, and is with us in every meeting that we're in? How come is it that we cannot express ourselves to him? Don't let man's tradition bind you up. Don't let man's chains hold you back. But have a determination, I am going to be moved by my heart to give on to Christ. They were moved in worship, and in verse 11 also it says, And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They were moved with worship. So they were moved to worship. They were moved in worship when they fell, and then they were moved with that worship to give. Unto God. Here's what I've written. 
And this is why we get worship back to front. Worship is not what we get. Worship is what we give. Worship is not what we get. Worship is what we give. You're not coming to worship to say, well, I'm here, give me, Lord. No. You come to worship with the right heart is, I'm coming to give. To give. Worship is not what we like. Worship is what he demands. Worship is not what you like and I like. Worship is what he demands. He is God. Worship is not what pleases us. Worship is that which pleases him. The term worship, I have heard a few um, and call them theologians saying, comes from two words, worth and ship. Worth is how much you praise something. What's it worth? So worth is how much you praise something or someone, and ship gives the idea of creation building together. For example, friendship. If you have a, a friend, it's because you, both of you work at the friendship. You create that together. You just work at it. And worship can be the same. Listen to what John Piper says about this. The inner essence of worship is to know God truly and then respond from the heart to that knowledge by valuing God, treasuring God, praising God, enjoying God, being satisfied with God above all earthly things, and then that deep, restful, joyful satisfaction in God overflows in demonstrable acts of praise from the lips and demonstrable acts of love. So what he's saying is really... That which is within us is that we have come to know who he is, our gratitude for our salvation, our gratitude that he would give his son, as we have read, even in Matthew 2, to die. Come on, parent, can you imagine giving your child up to die? I can't. Can you imagine giving your child off to die for people who don't even want to know you? Your enemies? Yet the Father gave his Son to die for you and me. Here we find that worship is what is he worth? What is Christ worth to you? What's his worth in your life? Then you create 
as it were. You bring, you premeditate and determine with great intent to carry out that worship to give unto him. You know, there's so many places in, in Scripture that worship is mentioned, but without turning to him, but if you want, you can jot it down and then sure you can read it when you go home. The first time the English word worship, now the English word, the, the Hebrew word is used a couple of chapters before this, but the English word worship is used in the book of Genesis, chapter 22. And it's when Abraham is told by God, he says, Abraham, take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest. Take him to Mount Moriah and offer him for a burnt sacrifice or a burnt offering for me. So Abraham takes Isaac and he takes him with uh, some of his men and he turns to the men in verse 5 and Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass and I and the lad will go yonder and worship. And come again to you. Notice he says, you stay here. Isaac and I will go up yonder. We're going up the mountain. And we're going to worship the Lord. Here's the thing to notice about the worship. It costs Abraham to worship. It costs Isaac to worship. It is a picture of the father and his son the sacrificial lamb of God, yet Isaac was spared the sacrifice. The father laid on him, says the prophet, the iniquity of us all. But it costs the worship. Do you know sometimes people come and they say, well, I, I don't know, I, I don't know how to worship or I don't know what to do in worship or whenever we're worshiping, I just, I, I got nothing. Listen, that's the wrong attitude. The attitude is, I'm coming to worship. If it's from my heart, then it's my heart, Lord. Take it. Take my heart, Lord. He's not asking you to bring something and lay it at the foot of this pulpit here. He's looking for you. He wants you, nothing else. When your heart is here, and your heart might be low, your heart might be down, but he says, give me you. Here am I. And you walk away and you say, well, Lord, I haven't really received anything. You see, again, it's wrong. It's not about receiving. It's about giving. Give on to the Lord like the widow's two mites. She dropped into the offering. Her two mites, her very last, she was giving on to God. And as she gave on to God, what happened? Christ saw it. Christ received it. And he says she had given more from two mites than those with riches you have given part, yet much more that they'd give in monetary value. And maybe the two might of your heart and the two might of your spirit, the two might of your life, give it to him. Give it to him. Don't hold it back. Be determined and premeditate in your heart. Every time you go in to meet with him, I'm coming to give. I'm coming, and it may cost me time. It may cost me that which I delight in in the world. 
It may cost me even time where I could be doing other things. I could be going to the gym or I could be going this. Listen, give God the time. I could be going to, to, to watch some show. I could be doing some. Give God that time. Well, I could be spending that and I could be doing it with friends or family. Give it to God. We should be redeeming the time for the days are evil. Worship is, what's he worth to you? Brothers and sisters, answer in your own heart. What is he worth? Is he worth more than that thing that the Lord's placed in your heart right now? Think about it. Is he worth more than that thing or that person who God has placed before you right now? Christ's worth. And to worship it costs. It's not about you and I getting in worship. It's about you and I giving. The word worship for Abraham going to worship is a Hebrew word, shakah, and it means to bow down, to prostrate oneself, to pay homage and reverence. So they were going to worship. They were going to bow down. They were going to be demonstrative. They were going to make sure that they would worship right. The first mention in the New Testament is in Matthew 2, as we said. The word worship as we are come to worship him. And this word is used right through the New Testament, and it's the word proscuneo. Proscuneo. Listen to what it means. It means to kiss like the back of the hand. Someone comes and buys and kisses the back of the hand. It also gives the idea of a dog coming up. If you've, if you've got an old dog, you, or, and you're maybe sitting there, the dog loves to come up, and he nudges you, and he licks your hands, and whatever. So my big dog does. He's always nudging me. He's always pushing me with his nose until I turn around and he's licking my hands. And it gives the idea of a dog licking his master's hand or to approach and prostrate oneself before the one who is higher than you. So they're saying, we want to come and do this before Christ. And in verse 11, we see them do that. They execute that which they had intended to. But notice this in the other Gospels. The first time... Worship is mentioned in the other Gospels. It's in Luke chapter 4. We've done Matthew 2. Luke chapter 4. You'll also read, but in Matthew's accounts in Matthew 4, when the Lord Jesus is tempted in the wilderness by the devil, being hungry and thirsty, not eating and drinking for 40 days and 40 nights. And what does the devil say? Verse 9, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Verse 10, Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. We glibly just glean over that, but there's more than that. Satan shows him all the kingdoms of the world. You can have all these. You don't worry about the cross. Don't worry about your blood being shed, the pain and the suffering. And, and he says, listen, it is written, God has already said, the only one to be worshipped is God. Just bow the knee. Just once, Jesus. Just bend the knee. Just once, Jesus. Just do it once, Jesus. 
You don't have to worry about all of those things. You don't have to go through all of that pain. Just bend the knee one time. And Jesus said, it is written that God is the only one we are to prostrate ourselves before and worship. Here's a, a thought for you. In Matthew's account, read it when you go home, Matthew 4. In Matthew's account, you'll find it from verses 1 to 11. It says, all these things will I give thee. And he asked the Lord to bow down to him. But the two temptations before that, turning the stones to bread, he says, if thou be the Son of God. Secondly, taking him to the pinnacle of the temple, if thou be the Son of God. And this is the third one. He doesn't say, if thou be the Son of God here. He only says it in the first two temptations. If thou be the Son of God, make these stones become bread. If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself off, for it's written, he'll, not, he'll give thy, his angels charge over thee, this thy foot dash against the stone. But here, he doesn't mention it in Matthew's account. Why? Because he's already come to that point where he's saying, if it's true, if it's true. And he realizes he can't get around Christ like that. And the third time he says it, he wants him to acknowledge he is the Son of God because he wants the Son of God to bow before him and worship. Can you see that? Now listen. Now listen. Jesus, when he looks at us, sees you and I as sons and daughters of God in him. Isn't that right? The sonship of God's people. So I've wrote here, note to self. Note to self. When tempted and failed, am I bowing the knee? Am I kissing the hand of Satan? When walking in the flesh, when bearing false witness, when living in unbelief as a son of God, that is, an adopted child of God. How far am I bending the knee to the wrong one? A true son of God, a daughter, a child of God, cannot worship Satan. And how he relishes in the thought and rejoices in every time we deny our sonship in Christ. I can't. Huh? You've just denied the Lord that bought you. So the first mention again then is in John's Gospel. We're coming to a close. First mention in John's Gospel is in John chapter 4 and it's the woman at the well. And worship here is when Jesus asks the woman for water and then she says, I've nothing to draw with for you. And he says, if you give me water to drink, I give you Water, you'll never thirst again. And listen to what it says, what the Lord says to her. John chapter 4. He says, For the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. So now we're back to square one. Premeditated. Worship. 
worshiping in the spirit, being ready to worship. Determined, intentional worship carried out. For the hour cometh and now is. This woman says, we have the groves up here. The, the groves were little idol statue places of worship in the hills. There was the temple worship for the Jews in Jerusalem. And Jesus says that our common now is when you're not going to need to go to Jerusalem to worship and you're not going to need to go to the groves to worship. You're going to worship in their spirit. You're going to worship within you. Listen, brothers and sisters, you know, I love to sing. Well, I love to try to sing. And I hope in prayer comes a time when I don't have to lead this here with the rest that there'll be people to play and to lead that and I can just worship down there with you. I love the worship. I love to sing unto the Lord. But in worship we should be giving. But at the end of the day, if I came to a meeting and I have at times and I sing a song and they say that there's no instruments and there's just let's stand and sing with our voices. That's your instrument. You can worship from your spirit without an instrument. I have been to a meeting one time and they just get up and they says, let's turn to such and such a number. And they started singing God Save the Queen. I thought I, thought I was coming to preach and then they called me up to preach. There was no music, just singing. And I thought, no, I want to worship the king. I want to worship him. But you should be able to worship reading the word. That's where worship is. Worship is hearing, receiving, and doing the word of God. That's that's true worship. Worship is in your spirit wherever you are, worshiping him. I thank the Lord for our musicians. I thank the Lord we can strike up and sing praise in the singers. And I thank the Lord that for the scripture, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, for that's what I do when I'm trying to help. I don't know if I'm more help or hindrance, but we try. But I do it on to him and it's to give. It's not to receive. And there's times I get up here and I just feel like going home. But it's not how I feel. I have to give him for who he is. He's still God no matter how you feel. You say, and worship me. But I don't have that feeling. It's not about your feeling. It's about you giving. I don't have much to give, then give him your two mate. That's all he requires. He says, A father seeketh such to worship him. The word seeketh is the word say, Teo. And it means to seek after, to require, to demand something from someone. Notice, to demand something from someone. Now, let me just for a moment, like I know it's to the day that's Christmas Eve morning, and you, you, you know, your, your mind's maybe fixed on, on, on turkeys and stuffing and stuff like that there. 
But let me just let me just lay something on you this morning. So we're here to worship. We're here to remember Christ and his death at Calvary. We're here. Do you know the Bible doesn't tell you to remember his birth? Do you know the Bible doesn't tell you anywhere to remember his birth? But it tells you to remember his death. Here we have the Lord saying, For the Father seeketh such to worship him. The Father demands from you, Ben, David, Chloe, Grace. I could go on. The Father demands of you, Johnny, Dave. The Father demands of Gillian and Ian and Donna, and I could go on and on and on. The Father's demand is when he comes and he says, have you come to worship me? He said, hurry up. It's awful long this morning. See him playing that guitar, the notes that he hits is terrible. Well, there's that old song, I don't like that one. Doesn't please me that there. I have something to tell you, it's not about you. Hello? Isn't that right? When we come to worship, it's about him. It's about him. Let's be careful not to have man-centered, man-centric songs, but God-centered ones. It's about him. And they came to worship him. Why are you here? Because it's Christmas morning. Well, it's not Christmas morning, Christmas Eve morning. I don't want to disappoint you. He wasn't born on the 25th of December. In fact, he was more probably conceived of the Virgin on the 25th of December. But anyhow, here we find they come, they prostrate their spirits to worship him. Then they open their hearts to give him. Okay, my intentions were to be in the house of God. I'm here. No worship. Where say this? I'll not tell you who it was, but we had a worship leader one time. And he was very, very good. And he sat down with me one time and he was frustrated. And he says to me, look, I just want to jack this in. I'm going to stop this worship. I says, why? He says, I'm just looking down. He says, and there's those who are just sitting there going, make me worship. He says, I can't do any more. I said, we just need to keep on worshiping and let the Lord deal with them. Because they're not giving to God. God forbid that in CET we would have make me worships. Well, you're not worshiping the group or the, the pastor or anyone else. We're not even worshiping worship. We're worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The last time worship is mentioned, you can read it when you go home, is in Revelation chapter 22, when John goes to worship at the angel who shows him the things of glory. And he says, stops him and he says, worship God. 
worship God. So the wise men fell down and worshipped him. I finish with this saying from Sinclair B. Ferguson on worship. He says, for worship is essentially the reverse of sin. Sin began and begins when we succumb to the temptation, ye shall be as gods. We make ourselves the center of the universe. And when we do, we dethrone God. By contrast, worship is giving God his true worth. And there's acknowledging him to be Lord over all things and Lord over everything in our lives. He is indeed the most high God. And when you and I are more concerned about us, I have something to tell you. I'm something to tell myself. We must always keep in mind the world does not revolve around you. Everything revolves around him. So I've written this to finish. The last one was a false alarm. (laughs) I wrote this. As I pondered it, I just thought, Lord, I worshipped him. And I've come back to the page and scribbled this right at the very bottom. Worship is not about what you receive. It's about what you give. It's not about you, it's about him. Worship is not only a concentrated moment of praise, but it's in the offering up of our lives, of our will, of all our lifestyle, being in surrender and service to him. That's worship. Worship isn't just this morning. Worship is every day. Worship is acts of worship throughout the day. Give to him. That which may cause you. You may have a long journey to go to get there. Be determined. And when you get there, just don't say, well, I'm sure you're here. I'm just going to now turn back. No, fall down and worship him. And when you get there, open up your heart and pour forth your gift unto the Lord. And he'll be exalted and glorified. Lord bless his word to us this morning. That was a little bit more devotional just this morning. And we thank you for your very good attention. Amen.